Good evening, ladies. Welcome back to Bible study. Tonight, we have a great privilege of having Judy Wimberly teach us tonight. Yes, one of our favorites. Um, so before she comes up, I'll pray, and then she'll hop up and we'll get started. So if you would, bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to come together and um, just be fed by your word. Help us, Lord, to understand what it is that it says in some of these um, just sometimes complicated passages. And we pray, Lord, that you would just do your will with us, that your word would accomplish what you have, what you intend for it to accomplish in our lives. I pray for Judy tonight as she teaches that her words would be clear and her words would be exactly what it is that you want her to speak tonight and that our ears would be wide open and our heart would be soft so that we could understand what it is that you want us to learn and that we'd be changed. So Lord, thank you just for the power of your word and um, how it really does affect our lives. And it is trustworthy, it's true, and it is worth staking our lives on. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for just time together tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you. All right. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be able to look and learn with you with this passage from 2 Corinthians, verses 5 through 17. The week that I started preparing this lesson, I was overwhelmed with things going wrong in our house. The air conditioner went out and company was coming, so I was trying to get a repairman real fast. The kitchen faucet wouldn't turn to the right or the left, so I had to run out, buy a new faucet, and then get that installed. We were going to have a surprise birthday party for someone at our house, so we needed the piano for happy birthday, but the piano is woefully out of tune because all the grandkids always pound on it. And I was saying, where did I put the name of the tuner? Well, I'm not even going to read all the things on my list of what went wrong at my house that week, but you get the picture. The house needed lots of care and repair, and I was frustrated. I allowed those house repairs to take on a life of their own, and I forgot about the big picture. Our house is really a home where we can spread the aroma of Christ. The passage for tonight allows us to see how Paul cared and desired to repair the problems within the Corinthian church, but he kept focused on the big picture, which is for the church to bring the sweet aroma of Christ to those who do not know him. So we're going to learn from Paul tonight as we look at first in verses 5 through 11, that in Christ, we care and forgive, comfort, and love. And then verses 12, 13, in Christ, we care and stay available. And then in verses 14 through 17, in Christ, we care and are triumphant, fragrant, and sufficient. Now, this next slide just shows significant words from the verses 5 through 11 that we're going to talk about. In verses 5 through 6, 
Paul is concluding an incident of church discipline. It may have been the one that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5, or it may have been an entirely different situation. Evidently, Paul was accused of things by someone in the church, and his authority as an apostle was questioned. And Paul experienced grief over what this person had said and done. But Paul was not the only grieved one. The whole church was grieved. Sin in the body of the church affects all in the church because the church is a body. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12 last year where we talked about that when something happens to the big toe, the whole body is affected? Well, that's the way it is in the church. So Paul says that the discipline action that had been taken by the church was sufficient. It was sufficient for both Paul's grief and the church's grief. And the Greek word here for sufficient means adequate, but it also carries the idea of being allowed. So none of this was being done in secret. The church body knew about it. And notice in Christ, Paul's care. Despite his authority, he did not make the fact that he was grieving to have higher value than the pain caused to the church individuals. Now, in Christ, Paul's care is not overly severe or overcharged, as it is uh, in the King James uses that word. Paul does not name the man. Naming that man would have meant that this man would carry that sin like a scarlet letter for thousands of years. That would be overcharged. Don't you hate to be overcharged for something? I have been known to hold up a grocery line over a two-cent overcharge. But Paul knew that God is not in the business of overcharging. God is in the business of restoring. This man had repented. His attitude and his actions were changed. He was sorrowful, not just remorseful. Repentance is where you're going in one direction and you repent and you turn and you go back 180 degrees around the other way. We used to play the game of repentance in our backyard with kids and I'd have them run the length of the yard and whenever I called repent, they would just stop, turn, and go the other direction as fast as they could. It also gets rid of a lot of pent-up energy, so you should keep it in your playbook. Verses 7 and 8, we see that in Christ, Paul's care says that we are to forgive, comfort, and love. Forgive means to let go. Robert Jeffers, in a sermon, defines forgiveness as letting go of a rattlesnake. It's a benefit to the snake. It's a greater benefit to you. In Jesus' Matthew 18 parable about forgiveness, one man owed a debt that calculated out to about 16 million coins. The loaner forgave the man who owed that debt to him. But the forgiven man found someone who owed him about 16 coins and he would not forgive him. In Christ, we have been forgiven the 16 million. All of our sin, past, present, and future. Therefore, we in Christ can forgive the debts of others, allowing God to be responsible to settle that. 
Generally, unsaved humanity views forgiveness as a weakness, and vengeance and payback as strength. But in Christ, we care and forgive. Now, in life, there are lots of forgiveness situations. Forgiveness does not just occur in church discipline problems, but it occurs in our personal lives. Where are you struggling with forgiveness? In a room full of women, there are many personal hurts. And I know that forgiveness can be hard and just feel impossible. It may be because of abusive situations. It may be because of desertion situations. It may be because of slander and lies. It may be for unfair things. It may be involves things that have happened to your children, things that have been done or said about them that were unfair and damaging. But to continue unforgiveness is like carrying around your neck a big sack of heavy rocks. Forgiveness is transferring that bag of rocks to God. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what happened didn't matter, but forgiveness is releasing that burden and bitterness to God, trusting that in his way and his time, he will deal with that offense in a just way. One thing I have found in a very long battle of forgiveness of a particular person is to turn to intercessory prayer for that person very quickly when the unforgiving thoughts start coming and building up. Just beginning to pray, Lord, draw them to yourself. Bless them with what it would take for them to understand that you love them. In Christ, we care and we forgive. I encourage you to make your forgiveness battles known to someone or to your community group or your small group here who can pray and encourage you as you struggle with forgiveness. James and I are so grateful for our community group who for years have prayed and encouraged us in the long battle we have had with some forgiveness to someone. Additionally, in Christ, Paul says we comfort. Now, when we hear the word comfort, it brings up the kind of the concept of my pillow. It's a kind of like it's soft and soothing and snuggly, but all focused on us. But biblically, comfort is to come alongside and strengthen someone. It's strong. It brings support. But not to forgive and not to comfort would keep a repentant person in sorrow. The word sorrow here pictures waves that are just drowning people. God does not want someone to be overcharged or drowning in sorrow over sin, but he wants them to forgive, to receive his forgiveness and restoration. In verse 8, Paul says that in Christ, we confirm our love to this person. Love biblically means that you work for the success of others around you. You want to make them successful above making yourself successful. Who does that as a natural desire? People who are in Christ and letting Christ work through them. Now, in verses 9 to 11, we're going to look at three other words, obedience, power, and Satan. And I always write Satan in little bitty letters because I think it probably insults him. 
Paul had written the Corinthians a letter ahead of this one, as Anne explained to us so well last week when she gave us Paul's to-do list. This letter was called the painful letter. Paul knew that this sin was detrimental to the church and to God's plan for the church. He wrote down what to do about the issue. When you are dealing with situations that are painful, writing down the issue and writing down solutions is a very wise pastoral care move for repair. It makes you careful with words. It gives clarity. It can be recalled accurately, and it doesn't get twisted or misquoted. So Paul did that. He put this in this letter, and he sent it with Titus. Now notice that Paul was not a helicopter mama. He did not rush off to Corinth to do everything and clean up all of this problem because he wanted the church to learn how to conclude this situation in a godly way. It was a test. And he records here that they obeyed his instructions. It's a, an example of the old adage, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. But teach a man to fish and you fed him for a lifetime. Paul was modeling and teaching the Corinthians how to handle church discipline and conclude it well in a Christ-caring way. Is it easier for you to do something for someone else than to let them learn and grow in how to do it for themselves? It is for me because I like quick fixes on my timetable. Here, give me the brush. I'll brush your teeth for you. Seriously, I did that so many times with my children. Probably none of them are capable toothbrushers. <laughs> In verse 10, where did Paul get the power to respond in these caring ways. The things that Paul is suggesting are against the normal Corinthian response. And if we're honest, they're against our normal response. How can we change? Where do we get the power to forgive, to comfort, and to love in problem situations? In verse 10, Paul says, he forgives the man because of the person and action of Christ. Paul, God had forgiven Paul's sins because of Christ's death that atoned for Paul's sin. Paul found that in Christ and through Christ, God could give him the power to respond with caring words and actions and caring to forgive. Now in verse 11, let's talk a little bit about Satan. Not forgiving, not comforting, not loving is an evite to Satan, to stir up bitter, bitterness and vengeance. Satan loves unresolved conflict. He loves unrepaired relationships among believers. He loves disunity among believers because he knows it makes the church ineffective for the kingdom. Satan loves religion. You can be as religious as you want, and he's going to leave you alone. What he hates is people being in relationship with Christ. You in Christ, he hates. Because Satan desires that we see God as an enemy, that we see God as a rival to our ego, that we see God as someone who holds us back, where we can't meet all our potential, 
and not seeing God as our friend, our lover, and our savior. Perhaps you've been coming here each week, but you have not yet received Christ as your savior. When our children were growing up, we had a, a very large metal jello mold, and I accidentally dropped it on the tile floor and it put a big dent in it. So ever after, we had jello with a big dent in it. But it was a great picture of what happened to humanity when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, because ever after, all of humanity has been born dented with sin. Perhaps you're ignoring those dents in your life, or perhaps you don't recognize that the dent of sin separates you from the one who made you, who loves you, and who desires for you to become part of his family. Acts 10.43 says, Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Because of his death on the cross for our sins, we are no longer identified by our dents. God forgives your sin because Jesus, who had no dents, paid for yours on the cross. If you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about it. Talk to your leader or talk to one of us uh, in leadership. We'd be happy to talk with you about that. But if you know Christ, are you living in such a way that it makes clear to Satan that you are his enemy and God is your savior? Paul has given us very good instruction from his personal experience about how to be part of restorative repair in a biblical way. I think he had more things to repair than I did in my house, but unlike me, he did not lose sight of the big picture. So let's look at our next section, which is very short, just two verses, verses 12 and 13. In Christ we care and stay available. What can we learn about Paul when he went to Troas? This is really kind of like the tale of two purposes of Paul. He was staying available to proclaim the gospel, and he was staying available to repair problems. In ministry, sometimes God calls us to be available to several things. Paul took advantage of the open door in Troas to proclaim the gospel, but as time passed and Titus had not arrived, Paul got anxious. So he decided he would go across to Macedonia because when he did that, it made a shorter route for Titus to meet him so he could hear the news of what was happening in Corinth. There was no texting, so Paul could not send a message of where are you, question mark. In ministry, there are always delays and interruptions, but God is in control, and God allowed Paul on a later journey to circle back to that open door in Troas. You can read about that in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse, starting with verse 6. But Paul was so anxious to how the Corinthians responded to the painful letter. He was the shepherd who was anxious to care for the sheep who had gone astray and was having problems. One thing uh, my husband and I talked about as we were kind of discussing this lesson that we have seen occur in our lives this is, I'm like John Elmore, there's a fruit fly, uh, is that when you care for sheep that stray, God gives you a supernatural love for them. 
Paul loved the Corinthians, and he desired that they would become a people who wanted to stay available to God and repair their problems. Now, in this last section, verses 14 to 17, in Christ we care, and we are triumphant, fragrant, and sufficient. So we've seen how Paul cared and desired to repair the problems in the Corinthian church, but he kept focused on the big picture of the mission and purpose of the church to bring the sweet aroma of Christ to all those who do not know him. So let's look at the big picture. Verse 14, there's a tremendous burst of energy in verse 14. It's as if, as if Paul breaks out in a doxology Paul thanks God because what Paul knows is that God always, always, very important word, causes his own to triumph when they are making the truth about Christ known. There is triumph in the air everywhere when the gospel is shared. And he, Paul uses an analogy to a Roman custom of giving tribute to a victorious Roman general. This event was called Lo Triumphe. Paul is using an analogy of something that they would have been very familiar of. The Corinthians would have known about these. And Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians that their proclaiming of the Lord and our proclaiming of the Lord will have a greater victorious celebration than a Roman triumph parade. But let's get the feel of a Roman triumph parade. This was no small deal. It was a huge parade to celebrate a general who had won a decisive victory that helped Rome. And so they would start outside the city of Rome and they would go all the way through the city to the other edge of Rome where Caesar would have been sitting on his throne. And so leading the procession in were the senators of Rome, then there were Trump trumpeteers, then there were other musicians, there were carriers of incense, there, the path was just strewn with flowers, and then the horses stepped on them, and that released the fragrances as they came down the path. So there were things to see, there were things to hear, there were fragrances to smell. The general would have been dressed in purple, he would have carried an ivory scepter, he rode in a chariot drawn by four white horses, and the general's family walked behind the chariot. Then the victorious army walked behind that and shouted, Hail to triumph! And at the end was the defeated enemy, who would most likely all be executed. So we're going to watch a clip of a Roman triumph from the movie Ben-Hur.
So Paul is telling us that we're in a greater triumphal procession than one like that. We're in the triumph of Christ, and Christ is the general. By grace, we were captives, but in Christ, we are not captives headed for execution, but we are part of the family of the general, the victor. Jesus went to the cross. He fought the battle for our freedom from dents of sin, and we are part of the greatest triumph ever, even though we don't deserve it because Christ won that battle. He, gave, he gives us a place in the procession as a gift. Paul, the once cruel Pharisee who persecuted others, was now part of the victory and majesty of Christ. And in Christ, you are part of the victory and majesty of the victorious general Christ. Paul says God always leads us in triumph. God is always at work, spreading the gospel, the fragrance of Christ everywhere. Those who receive Christ find the aroma to be a sweet savor for life, but those who reject it and have their hearts hard and stubborn find that to be eventually an aroma of death. Now, whether our message about the gospel is received or rejected we are still in the triumph of victory because we have been carrying the aroma of Christ to others. And so it's not dependent on whether they receive or reject. Our job is just to be reflecting that uh, aroma of Christ. Um, God is pleased when the aroma of Christ is carried. It pleases God. When we give the gospel, even if people reject it, that's our assignment. The gospel made manifest. Manifest means it's set conspicuously before everyone. Jesus is the perfect sweet savior. In the Old Testament, the burning of the sacrifice, it says, created a sweet aroma to God. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture negative. Now, I know you don't know what negatives are, but I have drawers full of negatives. But the negative was just a shadow of what the true picture would do, be. And that's what this uh, sacrifice was. It was a shadow of what Christ would come and do. But Jesus would be the perfect, sweet, savor fulfillment of that sacrifice. I hope this scene of the triumph celebration plays in your mind and in your heart and you commit to share the gospel and regardless of the result that you know you are part of the triumph of all triumphs. This one will look puny compared to the one we're in. Your status right now, if you are a believer, is that you are part of it and in the future one day, you will be marching in the great triumph of Christ in your resurrected body to be presented to God the Father by Christ the victor. Paul asks the question, who's sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to carry the message? There is no other message in life that carries such extremes. The offers of the wonder and amazing things of heaven are the woes of hell for eternity. It's the greatest decision that anyone makes in all of history, past, 
and now and future. No one of us is sufficient for that task in and of ourselves. That task does not rest on us. It rests on the greatness of who Christ is. In Christ, we are sufficient to carry that message. What aroma do you leave behind? The fragrance of Christ or the fragrance of selfishness or worldliness? The guys in our family go to a casino en route to the beach each summer, and they come back to the hotel saturated with the smell of smoke. There's no question where they have been. We all smell like what we hang around. Pleasant aroma in the air revives the weary, refreshes the tired. God uses nature to refresh us with its splendid aromas. Think of it. Gardenias, carnations, roses, pines, uh, lilacs, prumeria, to name a few. God uses us to be refreshing, to bring a message of life, a fragrance of rescue. Now, verse 17 says, don't peddle the word of God. The word peddle refers to sellers who bought wine, the very best wine. And then they diluted it down with water, but they sold it for the same high price as the best wine. But it was diluted, and it was changed. So to borrow a Texas warning, don't mess with the gospel. Look historically at the efforts to destroy the gospel. They have all fallen short. There's an effort in our nation right now to destroy the gospel. It will not succeed. And notice the word Paul uses for us about the gospel, sincerity. That's what should describe us. It means that when we are proclaiming the gospel, we are pure in our motives and we are pure in the proclamation of the gospel. God has commissioned us in Christ to insincerity to speak about his son. I want to challenge you and me to dare to ask God to put us in a place where there's no aroma of Christ. That might be in your workplace, might be in your exercise place, might be in your neighborhood, it might be in a closed country. But if you dare to ask God to do that, get set to share the gospel. And we would love to hear testimonies of how God allows you to bring the aroma of Christ where there is none. So just to summarize tonight, in Christ we care and we stay available to restoratively repair, but we don't overlook the big picture to show and share the aroma of Christ everywhere. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help each of us to stay available to you, that we be attentive to your plans for us and obedient to them. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will help us to be part of restoration work in your church and in people's lives, that you would help us to be the aroma of Christ daily, and that you would give us boldness to proclaim you. And Lord, we thank you for letting us be part of your triumphal parade. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Judy, thank you.
Before we break for small group tonight, I just wanted to say a really quick little something. Judy did a great job of touching on um, forgiveness. And as we think about forgiveness, I think about you ladies in this room. And we know that as believers, we've been forgiven much. And so we should be able to forgive much, but some of the trauma that has happened to many of you in this room, make it, it makes it really hard to forgive. So whether the, um, maybe you've had some injustice done to you or you've experienced something, whether it's abuse, uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse or verbal emotional abuse, um, or Maybe it's something that you need to forgive yourself for. Maybe it's an abortion or adultery or sexual experimentation in your past. Whatever it is, we want you to just be reminded that God sees you, he cares about you, and he wants to be the one to walk you through toward healing. And we've got to be patient with ourselves. And um, as we walk through on the road to forgiveness, and just want to let you know and remind you that here at Watermark, we have lots of different ministries for different experiences that you may have had. Um, And so this is a safe place for you to, you, you may have experienced something that you've never, ever even told anybody about. And just want to encourage you to talk to your leader, talk to your small group, talk to me. Uh, We would be happy to walk alongside of you because we know that Christ is sufficient to to give you hope as you heal, and then you are able to move toward forgiveness. So I just wanted to say that before we break to small groups and just remind you that we care about you and we want to be here to help you if you if you need us. So thanks again, Judy, for teaching us. And y'all have a great small group tonight.